Welcome back to the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. In this episode, I speak with Inner Circle member Rob, who is 48 years old, turning 49 in December. And we have a wonderful conversation. Rob is incredibly kind, very intelligent, and super insightful. And he speaks a lot about how now, at 48 years old, he is the strongest, the leanest, leanest, and the healthiest he's ever been, and how he very much believes that now more than ever, he can continue to get stronger and leaner as he gets older because of what he's learned over the last few years. I'm very excited for you to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please leave a five-star review. I want to say thank you to everyone who's done that on iTunes already. They mean a lot. And if you'd like to join the Inner Circle, you can do that at www.sfinnercircle.com. Rob. Hello, sir. What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing really good. It's great to see you. It's great to see you as well, man. Thank you so much for taking the time yeah. to get on the phone with me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, no, this is really great. I, uh, I'm i just very excited. I got to thinking like, what the heck am I going to chat, chat with Gordon's? To, to Jordan's side about. I have no idea what I'm going to say. So uh, <laughs> I hope you have some ideas. Well, so listen, I mean, basically the way I see it is, it, number one, it's an opportunity for me to get to know you better. So I'm really excited yeah. about that. Uh, and number two is it's, it's really, it's your time. So like whatever you want to chat about, I'm open to. But how about we start just by, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, um, I'm 48, uh, going to be 49 uh, in December. And uh, I can honestly say um, this whole, you know, I think from a fitness and health perspective, I got to admit, I don't think I've ever been healthier uh, than I have been in the last uh, year or maybe a few years. And and uh, just getting more healthy, I think, as I get older, which has always been one of my goals. Like, and I, I must admit, like, if you you remember Gary Player, the 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 um, the golfer, uh, I'm sorry, legendary I don't, golfer. I don't know the name. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, so, never been a big golf guy. Yeah, so Gary Player, uh, you know the 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 era of Jack and uh, Arnold Palmer and these mm-hmm. guys. Uh, you know, Gary was one of those um, golfers who was on fitness before anyone else was on fitness. Golf was not technically a fit sport when you looked at the athletes in it. Uh, but Gary always bucked the trend and he always said he wanted to be like a wolf. He wanted to get leaner and stronger as he got older. And I always remember that, but I could never figure out how to get there. And so I, I always, that's always in the back of my mind. And maybe that's the approach, get stronger and leaner as you get older. Right. I love that. I mean, especially right now, especially, you know, all of 2020 with the craziness that's been going on with so many people struggling with that. It's amazing to see that you've continued to improve and get better throughout that time. And that's amazing. Yeah. So I I think for me, like myself is I, I wasn't, uh, I was not an athlete as a kid. Uh, I played, you know, many kids play hockey. I played hockey as a young kid, but not at a competitive level. Uh, I didn't really play any sort of organized sports until I started playing beer league sports as an adult, just through work and so forth. But I mean, I wasn't on the football team. I wasn't in weightlifting club in high school. I was in yearbook, right? Like I wasn't (laughs) the athlete, although it's not that I wasn't athletic. Mm -hmm. It's just, I never played uh, organized sports. And uh, as you get older, though, I think your activity level needs to improve. And so I kind of got into this, my twenties and thirties, 
I wasn't unhealthy enough for anyone to notice, but I wasn't healthy enough to be like, okay, that guy's healthy. And then all of a sudden you get into your forties and you realize things are different now. Like it, you don't get away with the stuff that you did at 30 and at 35. And so I really started to take um, a more honest look at what this was all about and um, started, you know, sort of taking an active role in going to the gym. And my wife has been such a role model from a health perspective because she's always been mm. a very healthy eater, very much an athletic person, very much a gym person. Uh, so I started, that started to rub off on me. So you got to have these role models. But um, then I found you. And that's really when everything really changed for me, I think at a ma like a really macro level. So, you know. Oh, that makes me wicked happy. I have to ask, you said something that sparked my interest. You said, you know, once you get in your 40s, you don't get away with the same stuff that happened earlier. W was there anything that you remember, like any specific instance in which you were like, oh, wow, like this is an issue? Yeah, I think there's two things that really jump out at me if I think back now. Uh, I was probably late 30s, uh, went to the doctor like you're supposed to. And, uh, you know, he basically said to me, look, your blood pressure's up. Um, I don't like some of the stuff that I'm seeing. You could probably lose 20 pounds. Right. But again, I have, I'm, I'm not a small guy, but I'm not a giant guy. I'm kind of six feet. Um, I've got a larger frame so I could always carry, I could hide it, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but he said, yeah, you gotta lose, lose 20 pounds and your blood pressure's high. Here's the prescription. Start taking this. Oh, he just and, gave you a remember, prescription. Yeah. And so this is like, you know, I'm 37 years old and I left the office and I was like, I'm not taking blood <laughs> pressure medication at 37 years old. Like, I mean, if I really sat back and identified my lifestyle, yeah, I probably wasn't eating as well as I could. I wasn't as active as I could be, but do I want a life of prescriptions? And that's when I started to really... Mm look at it, but it, it's, it's easy to identify. It's hard to take action. So it was probably five years before I really started taking action on that. Really? Uh, and, you know, I mean, and really started looking at what I was doing and consuming and my activity level, you know? So that was the one thing that really started me down that, like, is, I mean, I could literally be doing this for the rest of my life. And, and, mm -hmm. and then you realize, well, wait a minute, five pounds doesn't seem like much over the course of a year, but you have a lot of years left. So you mm -hmm. times that by 40 and all of a sudden you're in real trouble. And so then I got into my forties and realized, well, uh, I don't feel as good when I go out and eat all of the stuff that I used to eat. And, um, you know, your body doesn't react the same and it takes a couple more days to recover from, rockstar lifestyle. And, you know, you, you can't exercise your way out of a bad, uh, diet, you know, mm -hmm. like for a while I was working out hard enough just to get away with it. I could just keep doing what I was doing and it was just maintaining, but it, it wasn't sustainable, right? The diet is not sustainable, you know? Makes total sense. So, yeah. so this is actually very interesting to me. So you walked out of the doctor's office before, actually, before we even get to that, did the doctor even bring up exercise and nutrition? Did they say anything about that? Or were they just like, you know what, we're just going to get you on this medication? Yeah, I, I really 
that's unfortunately the way it was. It wasn't a conversation about lifestyle, mm -hmm. about habits, about, you know, what, you know, what's the food pyramid for you look like? What's your activity level look like? It was just like, we can solve high, high blood pressure with this. Got it. And so it was a very myopic view of health in my estimation. It was the issue is high blood pressure. We can solve it with this, as opposed to looking at it from a holistic standpoint and saying, okay, what's actually Perfect. going on in this world to create this problem? And I, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think that's maybe one of the systemic problems. Uh, what we're seeing in North America, obviously, is just we can solve a lot of stuff by the miracle of medicine, but Correct. that's not always the way to go. And I think I, I think I'm a good example of that, you know? So, so you walked out of the doctor's office and you said it took about five years before yeah. anything changed. What happened? Like, do you keep going back to the doctor and they kept saying, Hey, you know, like something's got to change. Something's got to change. Did they give you that prescription more times? Like what happened? No, I think what it is, is it's just, you know, you know, that there's a problem, mm -hmm. but it's now, uh, going from, I understand the problem to motivation to solve it. Like, is it painful enough? You mm. know, like, uh, is it enough of a problem for you to make an adjustment in your life? And it was small little incremental changes, but you'd always revert back. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start working out. I got a gym right in my building. Like there's no reason why <laughs> I shouldn't be down there every morning. If I was at a hotel, I'd be motivated to go down to the gym. It was like I was living in a hotel but you do it in small increments and you eat well for a while, but then you revert back to your natural habit. It was just, it wasn't uncomfortable enough to precipitate a change. And whatever that is for somebody, for me, it was just harder to get out of that mushy middle. Like I said, I wasn't unhealthy enough to be a problem, but I wasn't healthy enough to, to be taking advantage of the time, you yep, know, that yep. I had. So, was there, in terms of order of events, did you, when you actually finally made a change, was exercise the first thing? Was nutrition the first thing? Was it all at the same time? How'd that happen? I think it was 100% exercise first. I think that's the, to me, it, when the exercise bug finally bit, um, I, I really started to, I literally started to enjoy it. And I never thought that I would ever go to a gym environment with a group of people or even, or worse on my own, uh, and actually look forward to that moment. But it did, you know, something happened. It did happen. There was uh, a guy at the office. He actually was a former professional athlete, uh, got in, he was in the same business that I was in and sent an email around the office and said, basically, fellas, uh, I'm not in game shape anymore. I want to get back in game shape. I don't want to lose it. I'm going to this gym <laughs> this time. I'd like a little workout group, any and all are welcome. And wow. I saw that. And I, was I like, love that. Okay, I'll do it. And so there, it, it's really kind of funny because it was the right trigger for me because it was a guy I knew, um, played professional football. So there I am in a five guy group workout session at like six o'clock in the morning with four former professional football players and me. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing here? Like, how did I land this? But, you know, I was really intimidated at first. And I literally would lay on the bench and try and do arm to leg laying on a workout bench. And I couldn't 
stable. I didn't have a strong enough core to stabilize myself to do the move. I had to move to the floor. And so that's when you realize, okay, I think, I think we're onto something here. Mm. Like I need to be better. And that's really what the trigger was. And, and I never kept up with those guys, but I never tried to keep up with those guys, but I did all the stuff that they were doing. I just did it at a different level. And that gave me the confidence to say, you know what? I actually can get stronger and better. And uh, so that was the trigger for me. It was exercise that started it. And then diet followed down, down the road and, and really diet hit when um, I learned of your kind of philosophy of the calorie deficit. That's when it really started to uh, kind of all come together, you know? Man, I'm, I'm just thinking about that situation with you and, and four professional athletes. It sounds like a TV show, like almost like a sitcom, yeah. right? Where it's it like in a sitcom. Yeah. That's that like, we'll I, for whatever reason, like I love Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. And I'm just yeah. sort of like imagining Larry David in this like environment with four super high level professional athletes. And he's like, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really funny. And uh, we'd play pickup basketball on a Friday because the 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 uh, trainer would just mix it up as a warm up. Our warm up would be pickup basketball on this half court that they had inside there. And I mean, I, it's just like uh, were, monsters. Were I'm trying to draw, yeah. like, were, were they encouraging? But, were they helpful? Or like, how, what was that like? What was that environment like? You know, that was my first because I, like I said, I never played any sort of team sport at a high level. And so that was my first glimpse into what it would be like to be on a team uh, because those guys were so welcoming and so encouraging and so positive. And it was like, you just, it was like a little community that we had there. And that's what it would be like, I think, to be on a professional sports team is to have these people who they're just bringing everybody else up. Like it's in their DNA that the weakest guy in the team is what's going to hold them back. Mm-hmm. So we got to bring everybody up because their success is my success and vice versa. Right. And it was a really positive experience. And I think that's what kind of kept me uh, going. So even when I left that environment, uh, I still had the motivation to continue exercising, even though I wasn't with that group anymore. And that's, that's pretty, pretty cool because that was always the stumbling block was getting up in the morning getting motivated to get up in the morning and get going, right? Just go. I mean, I love this for so many reasons, not least of which being most people, many, many people are very intimidated to go to the gym. They're intimidated and they're scared about what other people might think of them. And you're in a situation that actually a lot of people say is never going to happen, right? It's not like you're working out with professional athletes or anything, but it's like you are literally working out with four professional athletes it would have been very easy to be like, no, you know what? You guys go like, I'll do my own thing because maybe you're worried about what they'll think. And then on the back end, they turn out to be super kind, very encouraging. And 9.9 times out of 10, this is what I found is that people in the gym are very kind and very encouraging. And and a lot of people are worried or concerned about what other people are going to think. But once you actually put yourself in the situation, you actually find that sort of team atmosphere where everyone's sort of rooting for everyone to succeed. Yeah, it, it's very true. Like I remember, you know, going to the gym with a roommate that I had in the nineties and he was very, um, very health conscious. He was a big workout guy, but it was back in the, um, it's kind of funny, the iterations of the trends, uh, it was back in the don't eat carb trend <laughs> when that really first started to get going, like, uh, almost pre Atkins in a way, like it yep, was yep. just, you know, like do not eat 
an apple, but you could have a nectarine because it's lowest, the lowest <laughs> sugar fruit. I remember having these discussions like stay away from bananas, but go strawberries and nectarines because they're low sugar fruits. And, but that was a real thing. Everybody was doing it completely not sustainable. And it, and I failed miserably at it eventually, but it worked in the, in the short term. But, you know, even going to the gym with him, I was very intimidated by that gym culture uh, mm. because I never did that as a kid. I, I wasn't like I didn't get through that fear in high school at weightlifting club like some of the guys did. Like I had to do that later in life, which is maybe good because you're not as intimidated as an older person as you are as in high school. But there's still an intimidation factor. And I think that is a real thing for people that the thought of going to the gym and exposing yourself and having people think people are looking at you and, you know, um, that guy can't lift as much as I can, or I'm not, I'm not going to go because I can only put 25s on the bar and I don't want to look like I, you know, a failure. Like mm -hmm. you have to just get past all of that. And it's like anything in life. Once you do it the first few times and realize that you're not being judged and that nobody's watching you and that, you know, everybody has their own goals. Um, I, it changes, it changes your mindset, you know, you know, you, you've said some really amazing things and you almost like gloss over them. And I, I sort of want to highlight it. One thing that you said was, and it was earlier that you had to change the variation, right? It's like you realized you were on the bench, but you couldn't complete that variation because you weren't strong enough to, you didn't have the stability to do it. So you went to the floor and you just said it as it's just very matter of fact, which it is, but I can, and just from my own experience as a coach, I know a lot of people, they would have to make that adjustment and that would be enough to the point where like, well, screw this, I'm out, I'm yeah. leaving. Either because they get so discouraged at themselves, they perceive other people to be making fun of them or judging them as a result of it. I'm very impressed with your ability to, no matter what, like, okay, cool. So I know this, I'm not ready for this variation yet, so I'm just going to do this one. Or you know what, like I'm going to go to the gym with all these like four professional athletes and I'm not going to be anywhere near their ability, but I'm going to keep going. It's uh, the way that you approach it as just a very matter of fact thing that must be done, I think probably helps a lot. Yeah. I never really thought about it like that. Um, yeah, I guess it is in a way, um, very clinical approach, I guess, but at the same time, um, when you feel, uh, safe and welcomed and not judged, you're able to not, mm. uh, go there and you yeah. can compartmentalize. Okay. Look, I, I can't do 15 chin-ups with a weight vest cause I am not there, <laughs> but right. you know what? I can do five chin-ups with a thick band mm. at the beginning. That's where it all started. And it became a journey. It became, um, almost a, it wasn't, that I was challenging them or they were challenging me. It's been, I, was, I ended up being able to challenge myself. And so, but you can only do that if you feel safe and not judged. And I think that's, but that's part of um, getting to that spot. You know, everybody's gonna get there slower or quicker, but if you can get to that spot, then you can really challenge yourself to say, you know what, uh, I am gonna set some micro goals to get a little bit of win so that I can move to the next one, right? Because the day I did do it on the bench, then builds confidence to do it with yeah. the medicine ball or not like with a BOSU ball up there. And you know, like you, it's these iterative stages 
that you have to to get to and it it's intimidating as hell and it's scary and all that stuff but you just have to stick with it you know and you it, do it you just got to do it i mean the, the end result is so power like that's the thing like you just you're laying there and it's dark and it's cold and then but it's i always try and imagine the after it's the yes. after how do i feel after and that was my wife always preached i said how can you get up and go downstairs <laughs> and work out like that and she'd always say it's because of how i feel after yes when i, I come upstairs it's how i feel and i'm like oh yeah that's that's it it's <laughs> and funny it, it's, i, I i've thought the same way and only recently did I learn there's a term for this it's called consequential thinking where mm. oftentimes if you focus on how you feel in the moment so let's say someone who's nervous to go to the gym if you focus on how you feel in the moment you're less likely to go because or if you're tired laying in bed and you're comfortable in bed you focus on oh I'm so comfortable right now and I don't want to get out of bed then you're less likely to actually do it but if you focus about the consequences of the action what's going to happen once it's over you're way more likely to actually do it it's very interesting how that works yeah i agree with that and you know and the other thing is like after you start working out and get comfortable and then you like you can see results but then when you it's the diet part of it like the mm -hmm. food consumption part of it that for me has really changed everything because I didn't know I had a relationship with food. I just like, I've always been a foodie. Like I love <laughs> food. I, I'm not one of those people who eats solely to sustain themselves. Like I've had friends who, if they could just take a pill in the morning and be good for the day, <laughs> that's what they would do because they don't enjoy the process of cooking and eating. Mm. And, but I've always been a food guy my wife's like that. We would go to these restaurants and just enjoy that experience of food and wine and drinks. But you know, that, you know, that comes with, you got to be careful. You can't, you can overdo it quite, quite easily when it comes to eating, obviously. But I didn't realize I even had a relationship with food. I just liked food. But then <laughs> when you start counting and you're thinking about okay, well, why do I want what I want right now? Like, I know I'm mm. not, I'm not hungry, but I'm prowling and why? And so you start to analyze that and you realize that, yeah, there is some subconscious thing going on between you and how you eat and what you eat and when you eat. And, you know, and that's been a really interesting, you know, cause I was pretty hardcore counting from April yeah, April 1 is when I started of this year. And then uh, just about a month and a bit ago, I stopped counting. And I've just been trying to see what it's like to not count. But I was like pretty much, I was every day logging in the app. And and it worked, like worked. But now it's like, okay, now what? And mm -hmm. so now it's about how are the how's the food and I going to relate to each other now when I'm not tracking each individual calorie portion right that's the next thing you know so so from april to october you've been tracking pretty meticulously and now you're trying to yeah. transfer out of it which i love i think yeah. it's a great amount of time to track what did you do before you started tracking were you just sort of just doing whatever you wanted nutritionally yeah pretty much i mean i think we i mean i follow my wife's life. i mean i think i was i was a sensible eater. Like I, I was never gluttonous by any means, but I certainly wasn't afraid of, uh, food. Like if it looked good and I, I would just, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, I didn't really put a lot of conscious 
thought into, is that too big? Is it the right amount of protein? Uh, what's it doing to me? It was like, well, that's, I think I'll just have that and I'll have another one of those and I'm okay <laughs> with it. Like I, you know, uh, but when you start counting, you really start to make those trade-offs. Okay. Well, is that worth it? Yes. Right. Cause yep. I mean, they're calories, but is it worth it? Like, you know, am I going to waste a hundred calories on that? Is that actually the satisfaction that I need right now? And when you start to really have those conversations, I think it changes your life. I really I, do. I absolutely love that because the, the interesting part to this sort of the nuance to it is you could have the same food and in two entirely different situations, that exact same food could either be worth it or not worth it. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's like in one situation, maybe, I don't know, for example, if I'm just here right now, there's several there, living in New York city. There's some of the best pizza in the world, always within two blocks of me always. And pizza is my favorite food. Like I could have it all the time. If I'm just sitting here by myself, generally speaking, it's not worth it just to go to the pizza place for me just to go and just have pizza by myself. But if Susan comes in, Susan comes into town and we're making the inner circle edition, we get pizza and it's always worth it because we get to share that experience together yeah. and because we enjoy that together. Right. So it, it's interesting. I love how you phrase that. Like, is it worth it? And then also diving into, it doesn't mean that a donut is either always worth it or never worth it, but let, let's look at the situation. And I think the, one of the points you hit on is some people are totally fine. They could pop a pill. And if the pill gave them all the nutrition they needed, then they wouldn't eat. I'm like you, I, I love food. I'm a foodie. Yeah. I love trying new food. I love traveling and going to different places, trying new restaurants. And I think that's generally much of the people who who listen to me and who follow me and who are in the inner circle. It's like, listen, we're not just going to like make turkey burgers that like with, with like fake bread on it and it don't taste good. It's like, no, I'm going to yeah. make sure that yeah. the food I eat really is uh, very tasty and enjoyable and I can enjoy it with my friends and family. So let me ask you this. Was there ever a period of time when you first heard, for example, when you first figured out or heard about calories or calorie deficit, was there ever any resistance to that? Was there any like, ah, I don't know if that's really the way to go or were you sort of bought in like, yeah, that makes sense? No, you know, it's a, that's a really good question. Like when I first started um, listening to you um, and, you, you know, talking about the calorie deficit and figuring out okay, how many, figure out how many calories you need based on the goal, what you want to get to and all that, you know, when I started listening to that and and about how it's the, it's a fuel consumption issue, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're, if you, you know, if you're not using all your fuel, then you're going to have fuel in reserve and it's got to go somewhere in, and in us, it's not stored, it's stored as fat. Correct. And I started thinking about it and I'm like, well, that's, (laughs) I think, I mean, Okay, let me listen to that again. Like I say, they, okay, is it that easy? And then you start to, yeah, it is really that easy. Like it is, it's just so, it just made so much sense. I was just like, oh, that is so <laughs> simple. Why didn't I know this at 30 or 20? Or like, I mean, it was so when I started to get that, it was like, all right, I can do this. I can get on board with this philosophy because it's not fufa. It's well, I think what I was tired of was, okay, we did Atkins when mm-hmm. I did the low cal and we did or the low carb. Then we did the Atkins, which is a low carb but high protein. So then we're, 
it was a big meat thing. And then it was, you know, don't eat after eight. It was, you know, don't eat after eight o'clock. Yep. Uh, we, and then it was the South beach. Well, the, look at that folks in the Mediterranean are super healthy. So you got to eat what they eat. And then, but then don't eat after eight o'clock and all of the things that have come along, it was like, all of a sudden it was like, okay, well this, this eviscerates all of that. This is like, it's too perfect. I can eat what I want. It's just, you make trade-offs. And I can honestly tell you in the time that I started the counting, I have not deprived myself of one of the things that I like in my life, not a beer, not a burger, not a pizza, like nothing. I haven't deprived myself of anything. And it's because you're just making trade-offs. That's, that's all it is. Man, that makes me so unbelievably happy to hear because you're right. When you, everything that you've explained from, from the doctor's office to going to the gym to nutrition it, you explain it so matter-of-factly and it's very interesting to hear it's just it's very logical to you it's like listen like this is just how it works and so this is what i'm going to do and I, I really enjoy hearing that and i love hearing that you can look at everything you've done nutritionally in the past realize where it's come to what actually the truth is then you can say listen like i don't need to necessarily deprive myself of anything i think I think a lot of times deprivation or depriving is used interchangeably with um, sacrifice. And yeah. they're, they're not the same, right? I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to have to eat fewer calories. It's like, okay, well, then we're going to have a little bit of an issue. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but yeah. I think the way that you frame it is, is a very logical sound to go about it that, that can help reduce the amount of emotion involved that can just say, listen, like you don't have to deprive yourself, but you might have to make sacrifices if this is your goal. Yeah. And, and I, I agree. I've never looked at it as a sacrifice. I've looked at it as a trade-off for an end mm, yep, yep. goal, right? It's almost gamified in a way. It's like, look, it's Oreo, right? That's, that's an option, right? But then what do you trade off for that today? That's a better way or, to put it. Or, then, you know, I mean, it's so to me, I never looked at it as a sacrifice. The other thing is that I didn't, until I started doing this, I did not realize the implicate, the truly realize the implications of my decisions, right? So mm. when I was a younger guy and I was, my job, I was out in the car a lot. So I had a lot of lunches out and a lot of it was drive through, you know, I didn't truly understand the implications of those drive through lunch decisions three and four days a week. And then us going out for dinner three or four days a week mm. and eating at a restaurant every Friday and Saturday night and all of the normal life, you know, you, you truly don't grasp the implications of that from a calorie perspective because it's not front and center. And so when you really start to analyze and say, okay, what actually does that menu item mean to me today? Well, if it means 37% of my day <laughs> for one moment, what's, what's my win here? Am I okay with it? And if I am today, great. But if I'm not okay with it today, what are my options? And it did become very linear um, from an emotional person to make that linear decision is a learned experience, right? So it took a long time to get there, but I got there.
You know? Was there anything that you remember when you first started counting that you were like, oh my God, I did not realize this had this many calories? Uh, lots. Like, <laughs> there, lots. Like, you really are. I'm, it, it was actually fascinating, really, when you really start to look at it. You know, you'd take this package and you'd be like, wow. Like, <laughs> in the context of what I need to consume today, this percentage is just unacceptable to me. Like I can't deal with this. So you, you find other ways. And so, yeah, it, there was a lot of instances like um, it, you know, I mean, I, I think like bread, I mean, obviously like I, I'm a bread guy, I'm a toast guy, I'm a toast and cheese whiz guy. Like that's my default <laughs> or toast and honey and cheddar. Like that's my snack. Yeah. That was always my go-to midday snack. Man, right. That sounds Piece so of good. toast <laughs> lathered with honey, slap some cheddar cheese on that. But what's the implications of that? And so you have to correct that. And it doesn't mean I haven't had it. It just means I don't have it every day. Mm. And so, but yeah, there was lots of moments like that where I was like, wow, I did not realize that that had the caloric implications on my body that it does. And then you just make better decisions for your, for your health, you know? Let me, let me ask you this, and I'm sorry to keep throwing so many questions at you. I'm oh, like yeah. very interested in this. Um, I could do this. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you still go out to eat? Like, do you go out to eat, go out to dinners? Like, do you order in food? Like, do you ever have meals in which you're not actually able to track it meticulously? And if yes, how do you handle that? Yeah, there's, um, I, you know, I think this is where I have to be very careful about how I frame this because, uh, the COVID global pandemic has been devastating for yes. literally millions of people. Yep. But in, in this micro moment of me looking after my calories and my health, mm. it's probably one of the things that helped me the most because not yep. only was I starting that, but I couldn't get that uh, distraction from the outside world because we were home for many weeks of that because it was April when I started just happened to be, it wasn't, by design, got it just it, happened. Got it, got right. it. So I got a real boost from the lockdown. But then once things started to loosen up, that's when the challenges started. And so, yeah, we would go out or I'd go out for a dinner, uh, realizing that oh, this isn't going to be what I've been doing for the last few weeks. But you just, again, it's a trade off, it's a shared human experience, mm -hmm. which at that moment is better than the 300 calories that I know I can fix tomorrow, right? Um, I'm not gonna beat myself up over this. I'm gonna really, actually, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go the other way and say, I'm gonna mindfully enjoy this more than I would have six months ago because it would have just been another burger and fries. Wow. Whereas this is like, I'm really enjoying this right now because I'm gonna get back on track tomorrow. And um, it that's really, that really worked. That really, and we'd wow. order in because we were trying to support local business when they started to get locked down and had to pivot. And so we'd order in and you just take the same approach, you know? I love that. I really, I've never heard anyone explain it like that. I've never even thought of it like that. And I appreciate that immensely because what you're saying is accurate. When, when you start to, 
when you see and realize how many calories are in a certain food and you're not going out to dinner all the time, then when you do go out to dinner and then you do know that there are more calories in it, you can start to appreciate it even more. You can really appreciate the moment that you're going to be spending with that person, the the actual food you're going to be eating because you know how special it is. And then rather than looking at that as a failure, you can actually look at that as a huge win and a wonderful time. And then you get back on track the next day. I love that. Yeah. No. And, and, and for the restaurants that actually put the <laughs> calories on their <laughs> menu, they help you. Right. And it helps right. you just say, look, this is a win. This is a positive thing that I get to do. Cause I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at. I'm making progress. I'm going to treat myself. But then the key is not to treat yourself again tomorrow and treat yourself again tomorrow. And treat. so there is some discipline there, but it helps you, I think, with the discipline. I think it, it helps to get those wins. You know? I just think it's – I always do my best to try and frame things in an optimistic way because Gen generally speaking, you don't really get much positive out of looking at it pessimistically. And what you did there is you found a way to look at that in a very optimistic way rather than I think a lot of people's gut or natural instincts, which is to be like, oh, I'm messing up. Oh, I'm failing. Oh, mm -hmm. this is bad, which will then lead down a negative cycle of, well, why bother? I'm just going to quit. But because of the way you mentally frame it as you appreciate it even more. Well, now it's this is great. This is a win. And there's no reason to yeah. think that you screwed up because you didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I think, too, I think so many people have that. Um, sort of um, the feeling that they're they're uh, cheating. Like that's mm -hmm. why we call it a cheat meal, right? Yep. Like you're cheating. Well, that's bad. We're told as kids, cheating is very bad. Don't cheat. But then <laughs> we put it in this food and health and it's a cheat day. Well, no, it's a win. It's a reward day. It's not a cheat mm. day. It's you getting some payback for the hard work. And I think there's a whole mental shift there. Man, I, I'm, I'm very happy that, and, and very fortunate that that you've been able to come on and talk to me about this because it. I feel I've learned a lot. I've learned some new ways to to express these uh, messages to people that might actually hit home better with them. So, I mean, thank you. Um, is there anything else that either you'd like to discuss? or th messages you'd like to to tell people to help them with their journey or anything, any questions you have for me? Um, well, on the latter, um, I do have some questions for you um, because how this all started was um, me uh, looking at, I think, maybe a little bit negatively, um, that sort of last uh, little bit of flab that's hanging around. And that's when I put that question into the, into the Facebook there. Um, so I, I did reach a spot where I was like, wow, I actually can't believe I did this. I went from like 203, well, 208 to 210, depending on the day. And now I'm around 182, 183. And so I, I feel like that's a big win for me. I feel really Incredible. good about it. I, I noticed the difference uh, in my body type and the way my clothes fit. Like I have noticed. But now, and I think you're the one that said this best, was like, okay, well, what is it worth? Is that 183 to 175, whatever the number is, is that worth it for you? And the answer is, I don't know. So I think I want to try that. I want to, yeah. now that I've been kind of maintaining, I think I want to try another, another go at it to see if I can get there. But I think 
and that'll be just more of a, can I do it? And what does it look like if I do? I just want to see that number on the scale. Maybe that's maybe, uh, maybe some vanity, I guess. I just want to see that number and know that it's mine. Uh, but most of all, now I actually, I really do want to start building some muscle. Like I want to now put some definition on that frame, uh, cause I know it's there. Yeah. Uh, um, so the scary part though, is what I still haven't reconciled in my mind is I think you said you're going to have to increase your calories, hopefully most of it protein mm-hmm. and then obviously lift and do that. That's, but I mean, through this whole thing, I could not even come close to my protein. Like I, do I need to be literally like <laughs> tiger baggy tiger pants and like five chicken breasts a day. Like that's what I'm scared of. Like I, I don't know if I can do that. Like how do I get to a 170 or 175 grams of protein every day? Man, that's, that is hard to do from a, I don't know, maybe it's not, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. Well, so tell me what are, what are the most common sources of protein that you eat on a daily basis? Um, I would say, um, uh, things like uh, chicken, things like, uh, pork, things mm-hmm. like beef. Okay. Um, you know, we run a pretty family oriented meal scenario. I'm not really making workout. Like it's not just a piece of chicken and Correct. some, like it's more of a, we all eat together. We're not, it's not a short order kitchen here. And <laughs> so we kind of have to live under those confines, but protein is sort of the feature every night, whether it be beef, pork, or chicken. Um, for lunch, I'll sometimes eat tuna because I know it's an easy, yep. I can open the can and eat it on the go and it's done. And it's a really good source of protein. Uh, and then protein shakes. I've been doing a lot of the shakes okay. over the course of this time because it is number one, I love the convenience and I know that I'm getting a good amount of protein and I feel full and I move on and I'm less likely to snack. Yep. And so those have been kind of the wins, but, um, and eggs, eggs every morning. I eat eggs every morning for breakfast. There's just no day that I miss. I so, so how much day. protein do you usually get on, on an average day? I'm probably getting, uh, probably 120, 125 at okay. most. All right. So let me, let me just really quick do this quick calculation. So we'll do, and you weigh 185 right now? Uh, yeah. 183 ish. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. So you're eating plenty of protein in terms of that's, I would say 120 to 125 would be the, the lower end of what I would like you at from what you need physiologically, right? Just on a physiological basis, you will not have any issues building muscle with that amount of protein. There are other benefits of higher protein diets that whether it's filling you up more, whether it's sort of the the metabolic advantage of having the higher thermic effect of food, um, the advantage of generally speaking, uh, it's very difficult for your body to turn protein into fat. Just like it's it's very a very difficult process. It can be done, but you have to be eating an unbelievable amount of calories from protein in order to do that. Whereas carbs and fats, it's relatively easy for the body to turn that into fat. Long-winded way of saying 120 to 125 grams of protein for you is totally fine. If, let's say, 
you were saying, hey, I'm really hungry and I'm trying to lose fat and I'm eating 120 grams of protein, I would say, okay, we need to increase your protein intake just because it's going to be easier to stay full if you include more in there. That being said, if hunger is not an issue and you're going to be increasing your calories, 120 to 125 grams of protein for a muscle building phase for you, you're good. It, you will be fine with that. You do not need to eat more than that. If you do, great. And you might just as a result of eating more calories in general, but what you're doing right now is totally fine. Wow. Okay. That's great. Okay. That's nice to know. So then the question is, um, so if I, uh, let's just take one, let's just pretend 180 is where I wanted to be. So you're saying that's like about 2,100 ish calories, uh, a day. Um, so if I want to start building muscle, mm -hmm. um, like you, what three, you said, what two to 300 a week is what I should think about adding in order to start to get some gain. Yep. I, I would probably put you up to about 25 to 2,700 and st you'd wow. start on the low, start on the lower end first. Okay. Mainly you can always, whether you're trying to lose fat or trying to build or trying to build muscle, I always add or remove a smaller amount first. So if someone's at 2,100 and they're sort of like struggling to lose fat there, I'll be like, you know what, let's go to 1,800, 1,900, just remove a little bit at the very beginning. Then on the other hand, if you're at 2,100, say let's add it to 2,500, a low end first, just to see how that goes. Um, because if you add too quickly, you run the risk of obviously putting on more body fat more quickly. And I'd rather take right. a more methodical, slower approach. So add a little bit first. And then from there, you can see I, realistically, it, this is going to be your first bulk, right? This is going to be your first mm -hmm. muscle. Gain yeah. Phase. Yeah, exactly. You're going to see tremendous results, even with just a small addition of calories. You don't need to add too much. Your body will respond very well to it. You'll probably notice you'll have way more energy. You'll feel great in the gym. Personal records will be coming a little bit more frequently, which is always phenomenal. Um, and you'll probably end up getting a little bit hungrier too, because building muscle is, it's a costly process for your body. Yeah. Like it, doesn't want to do that. So you might even notice that your hunger will increase. Okay. That's good to know. That's really good. Cause I'm at, so what that tells me is I'm actually not that far off. I don't have to add that much to actually start building muscle. Correct. So I think that's good. I, yeah, I think a lot of people excellent. get, it, with either scenario with fat loss, I think a lot of people think they need to radically reduce their calories. And with muscle mm -hmm. gain, I think people feel like they have to radically increase them. And, uh, it's, it's very small changes. The difference is mm -hmm. what can you do consistently? And that's what most people don't do, right? Where someone will, they'll try and radically reduce their calories for fat loss, but they can only do it for a week or two before they quit. And then same thing with muscle gain, someone will dramatically increase it, but they'll notice fat gain coming on a little bit too quickly. So then they'll cut them back again and they never give it enough time to see results. So right. small changes make a world of difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great comment because that is the one thing when I started, I, at, at first I was actually surprised at how, um, not shocking to the, my system and to my world that, because for a while I was down to like 2000, 1900 calories and it actually wasn't that life changing. Like I didn't mm -hmm. actually have to cut that much out when you really start to analyze it. It's the, it's the fluff. It's the yes. mindless stuff. It's the walk by and grab one of those or a little <laughs> cookie here or there. Or, you know, if you alter that, it's a small piece of super dark chocolate versus two Oreos. You know, you're, it 
gives you the same ah feeling, but it has way less impact on your day. And so yes. it really was not as sort of monumental as at first you would think it would be. So uh, that that's a really great great comment. So, I think I think uh, the, the only the mindless stuff really gets people. Like that. Oh the, yeah. That's where people massively underestimate how much they're eating just with the mindless yeah. stuff throughout the day. It's like when they actually add it up, even if they don't even track their calories, they just write it down. They're like, oh, I didn't even realize that I had that yeah. many handfuls of M&Ms. Yeah. Yeah. I always think of that. Uh, there was that British TV show and she uh, she was really focused on what people were eating. And it was always kind of the the sort of overweight British guy who loved takeaway because <laughs> they call it takeaway takeaway and beer. And so she would get them, she would log them for a week and then she'd lay it out on a picnic table for them. And the <laughs> poor guy would almost fall over. He's like looking around, like I ate that this week. And she's like, yeah, that's why you're overweight, pal. So it was, it's kind of, it is that mindless, not even thinking about it. Right. Um, how do you, uh, this, I need a tip from you from being at the gym. I go by myself. Um, so if I want to lift, especially like say in a bench press scenario, it's, I like, I'm very afraid. Like I, it's hard to push yourself when you don't have a spotter. So how do yeah. you get heavier and how do you get personal best, especially say on a bench press, if you've got no help, uh, and especially in an era of COVID where we can't go near each other at the gym. Um, like, I don't want to just have to tip them off the sides cause I can't lift. Like I, <laughs> I don't want to get in that scenario. I'm a, I'm a little bit afraid of that, to be honest. So honestly, it's it's I don't ever want to say like, yeah, it's good to be afraid. But in that situation, I mean, people die from bench pressing because they don't have a spotter. I mean, I don't know the exact number. Last several years ago, I heard there's like 14 people die from bench pressing every year. Right. It's just like people do die if they don't have a spotter and they do something stupid. So it's it is something to be very cautious of. And this is sort of one of the unfortunate drawbacks, which is like, if you don't have a spotter, you're inherently at a disadvantage, both from a safety perspective and realistically a muscle growth perspective. Yeah. Um, that being said, there are other ways to get the same benefits without that danger, right? So for example, what I would say is if you have access to a squat rack with mm -hmm. pins, then you just bring the bench in there. Mm -hmm. And that way, worst comes to absolute worst. If you fail on the bench press, then the bar is just on the pins and it doesn't fall on top of you. So like having the safety pin set up just right above where, where it might fall down and you get hurt. So that way you're, you're safe there. And that removes the anxiety and the fear. The drawback of that is you're almost always going to be able to bench press more weight when you have a spotter lifted off for you. It's, and right. it's a safer lift off. It, you don't have to worry about sort of coming from behind to then over your head. So yeah. there's a huge disadvantage there. Uh, that being said, what I would do is I would change the variation of bench press. So if your standard bench press variation, we'll just call it like a tempo of one second down, one second up, if that's your standard variation, I would change your standard variation to maybe a three second down, three second up variation. So that is your bench press standard now, which is inherently you're going to be using less weight for that variation because of more time under tension. So mm -hmm. the liftoff won't be as difficult, but if you can get stronger and add weight to that variation over the course of four, eight, 12, 16 weeks, you will be building muscle. Okay. You're like, it is phys physiologically impossible for that not to happen. So the, the, the biggest struggle here is the ego. 
where you know you could be lifting more weight. So then you'll want to increase, you'll decrease the time under tension so you can try and lift more weight up. But if you keep that standard three seconds down, three seconds up, well, you'll inherently lift less weight, but the physiological response and muscle growth will happen. So is bench press like, um, like chin-ups? Uh, I was always told, look, you can't do other exercises to learn to be, to be able to do a chin. Either you can do a chin-up or you can't, you've got to train to do a chin-up. Uh, is bench the same way? Like I've never been, a, I've never been a heavy bench press guy because I never did it when I was a kid. I just, so is that one of those exercises where the only way you get better at bench press is by bench pressing or are there other exercises that will aid in that growth of weight? There, there are accessory exercises you can do to help, but I mean, I'll say this, you're, you're six foot, right? <laughs> six feet. Yeah. I mean, you, you have pretty long arms, correct? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ge generally little... speaking, somewhat, it's much easier for someone like me, shorter, more compact, to bench press than someone like you. I'm shorter, more compact. My chest is a little bit more barrel chested. So my range of motion is significantly smaller versus you, you have a long way down and a long way back up. So there's sort of a disadvantage there. Um, the best way to improve the bench press, the best way to improve the squat, the best way to improve the push-up, the best way to improve the deadlift is to do the specific exercise for okay. sure. But obviously, there are other exercises that will help build those accessory muscles. So for example, let's say you put muscle on your chest, right? You put muscle up on your chest. Number one, the, the bigger muscle can be a stronger muscle. So doing dumbbell bench press, doing push-ups, doing chest flies just to build more muscle there will help. But also, it'll reduce the range of motion. So then as right. your chest gets bigger, the range of motion gets smaller, and then you'll actually end up being able to lift more weight. Um, I think one of the best ways for, for you to build your strength in the bench press, aside from bench press, is doing something like pause push-ups or mm. deficit okay. push-ups because the yeah. hardest part of the bench press is right off your chest. It's the hardest part. Same way the hardest part of the squat is getting out of the deepest part, right? So if you build up your strength from the bottom position, it will help a lot. That's most people's sticking point. So pause dumbbell bench press, pause barbell bench press, deficit push-ups, pause push-ups. Getting stronger in the weakest position will help you with when you actually go to the bench press. Mm -hmm. Louis Simmons is a very famous quote, you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? Which mm -hmm. is basically... If, if you're weakest in the bench press off your chest, but you really only strengthen the parts that are above that, then you're only, always going to be limited by your chest strength, by right off the I see. right off there. So I would encourage you to do those exercises for sure. Okay. No, that's, that's really good. And not that the bench press is some sort of mystical, um, you know, mark to hit, but it's just one of my weaker exercises. And I think if you, I think if you're going to build muscle, that's one of those movements you want to be using to build muscle. And Absolutely. so, you know, um, it's just, how do you get, uh, get that? So that's, that's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rob, this was, this was phenomenal. I, I really appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to, to sit down and chat with me. This is, I, I feel very lucky and blessed to have you come on. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. I feel exactly the same way. This is uh, phenomenal. I, uh, um, yeah, I'm just so excited to be able to share this journey with you because I know this is your passion and you've been a real teacher and a coach and a mentor. And um, I'm, I'm really grateful that we had this uh, time together. It's really amazing. And, you know, it's fine. I think a lot of people, uh, I, I'm like a lot of people, I, I found you through Gary. 
because uh, mm -hmm. I followed Gary and then found you. And um, that's the the way the world works because, um, you know, this, I mean, I'm so glad that that happened because uh, I've just learned so much and and I really feel empowered by the the advice that you're giving and, and the way you're giving it. I think that to me is um, so refreshing. You are just unabashedly honest with people. And um, I, I just think that's amazing. And uh, I, I'm really, I congratulate you for the business that you've built um, because it's uh, truly remarkable to, to sit back and watch that from a distance. So thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Please give your family my best and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. See ya. Bye-bye. That wraps it up for this episode of the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast. Rob, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me. It was an absolute pleasure. And for everyone listening, if you'd like to join the Inner Circle, you can do that at www.sfinnercircle.com. Have a wonderful day. I'll talk to you soon.